welcome back to the Bridge Church Podcast. We've got a special treat on this. Well, it's quite miserable here in Pentwin. On a miserable uh, Friday afternoon in Pentwin, we have uh, Phil Swan uh, on the podcast. Uh, Phil's going to come to speak to us on the 16th of April, and we're really looking forward to that. So, Phil, I suppose this is your chance to get to know our congregation in this uh, slightly strange way. So could you tell us a wee bit about yourself, uh, family, where you minister, how long you've been there, hobbies, all that good stuff? Well, thanks very much, Dave. Thanks for letting me uh, contribute to your podcast. It really is a great honour. It's a subject I'm passionate about, <laughs> and uh, that's great. It's good to know that it's miserable in Pentwin because it's pretty miserable in Finale today Where's as well. <laughs> No, that's not very nice, is no, it? That's not you know, nice. No, no. no. But um, I assure you, I, I live pretty much in the centre of, of the universe, or the last outpost of civilization as you head west, as I like to think of it. Um, uh, I Tell me about myself. I, I was brought up in a Christian home. Uh, my father was a pastor. I struggled with that very much. A usual kind of quiet, rebellious uh it was the 1970s, so a little bit thuggish. I went to school for rugby. That was my life. Uh, that and rock climbing was another passion of mine. And I played in a rock band. So the three R's, rugby, rock and roll and uh, rock no climbing. Way. Yeah, I know. And uh, then went to college in Cardiff, 1982. First Sunday, went along to church for the first time in my life because I wanted to go or I was curious because uh, I'd heard about this church with loads of people. And, and I, the Lord just spoke to me my first Sunday, and I came under conviction of sin, beginning of September. And that lasted until the following August when I came to faith. Um, but I, I worked in Cardiff for some years as a physiotherapist, and I might say a bit more about that later on, but uh, yeah. then entered Christian ministry 1990 in West Yorkshire in Pontefract, as they wow. said, the only way they'd get us out of Wales was to send us somewhere in England with with a Welsh-sounding name. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And then um, we came back to Wales. I had three years in Bridgend, and I've been in Llanelli as the pastor of Llanelli Free Evangelical Church for the last 25 years. Amazing. It is it's funny to think often whenever we're doing a sort of a question or an interview, the thing that people find hardest to do is uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. It always stumps people, doesn't it? Uh, well, if we're um, really honest, it's our favourite subject because yeah. of our sinful hearts. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. You asked me about my hobbies. You know, I, I um, that's always a tricky one, but a really interesting yeah. one. I have so many interests. I roll out of bed in the morning. I'm like a kid in a sweet shop. Life is just so exciting. Yeah. Uh, but at the moment, it's... Um, it's sitting by my log burner in the oh, cold, miserable weather, and waiting, so for, waiting for the sunshine so that I can get out on my bike again. Ah, cyclist. Very good. Yeah. Very good. I think uh, some parents listening, whenever they heard about rebellious teenager and the first thing they do whenever they go to university to rebel is go along the church. I'm sure lots of parents will be praying that that will be the case. <laughs> do you know, Dave, it was a very strange experience because... Um, I think I was lonely and a bit not sure of anyone, but I knew people in the church. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I got off on totally the wrong foot with student life. Yeah. Um, but uh, as I say, the Lord really spoke into my life very directly about the fact that I wasn't a Christian. Yeah. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, it was. So you mentioned there that you were a physiotherapist mm. is that is that your link to mental health is that what sort of sparks your interest in this topic well my interest i suppose is sparked <laughs> excuse me i better apologize you got a slight cough um i've always been interested in people and growing up because i grew up lived in a manse we often had quite disturbed people come into the house yeah. and it wasn't uncommon for my mother to say oh philip go in the other room and speak to uncle john or whoever it was you know yeah and uh, some very interesting experiences there so yeah, that was sort of in the background but when i i trained as a physio well actually as a remedial gymnast but the no society of remedial gymnasts amalgamated the charter society of physiotherapists pretty much the month i qualified 
No, I like to think no. they heard I was coming. But, uh, um, I was very fortunate. My first placement was split between Valindra Hospital and Whitchurch Hospital. And Whitchurch okay. Hospital at that time had the most brilliant, and I mean brilliant, inspirational superintendent physio who'd made Whitchurch um, a centre of excellence for the UK for physiotherapy and psychiatry. Oh, wow. And I sort of, my interest was um, stimulated. Uh, so eventually a senior post came up there. I went for it. And so I worked in Whitchurch for some years. And then eventually I ended up, um, again, sort of progressing clinically to uh, working in UHW uh, in mm. with the um, Department of Psychological Medicine and Physiotherapy sort of split. That's so interesting. Well, I mean, my wife, obviously, is a physio. And hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You got a lot of love on the podcast if you're a physio. But um, whenever I think growing up, whenever I thought of physiotherapy, I always just thought of sports physiotherapy. So whenever I was introduced to the fact that physiotherapy is not that narrow, that extends to sort of mental health, sort of physiotherapy, it's just, or, or neuro, I just never thought about that before. Um, whenever we talk about this topic, um. Obviously, we'd always encourage people in our congregation, anyone who's listening, if they're struggling with their mental health, that they should definitely go to a medical professional. They should seek medical help. But what are the implications for us as a church if we say, well, this is a job for the professionals, this is a job for the experts, and we don't do anything to help someone as the church? This is a great question. Sadly, I find far too many pastors uh, somebody for example suffers maybe from what is pretty obviously a fairly major say depressive episode or something like that often the response from pastors is to say well you need to go and see your GP which is very good that is terribly important but that's really as far as it goes and um, so a lot of churches I think are missing in action when it comes to providing care and support for Christians who maybe are receiving care and support within the existing services, which I think we've got to acknowledge today as well, are really stretched. Hmm. And referral waiting lists, um, even for basic interventions like uh, something, so long. Like, something like CBT, you know, it's, it's such a long wait. So, yeah, yeah never abandon people totally to uh, psychological services but be there with them yeah yeah I, I suppose whenever as, as a young pastor whenever I am like I'm scared myself in terms of like I don't want to say something that causes undue harm but that that's the worst thing to do just to well, wash your hands of the situation because you're scared because yeah I, I suppose it's a, it's a it's natural to be fearful but that's not what the church is for, is it? Just to to push people out the door to the to the experts because we have the good news of the gospel, don't we? We have hope in in the darkness. Yeah, and if somebody's going battling a mental illness, it's the same as a physical illness. They yeah. still need uh, fellowship. They need ministry. They need prayer. Those things are really important. Yeah, well, I suppose whenever we talk about this stuff, the Bible's an ancient texts written over many years to many different audiences, lots of different genres. Does it really speak about mental health struggles? Is this not us sort of imposing modern problems, modern day life on an ancient text? Surely the gospel is just about salvation in Jesus Christ. What what would you say to that question? Um, the Bible speaks to mental our mental well-being all of the time, as well as our spiritual well-being. The link between the mind and the soul is so important. We are embodied people. Um, we, are, we are body and soul. And so we have a massive reservoir of resources in Scripture. The problem is we don't often know how to apply them. good example of this, say, in the, in the Psalms, which uh, reflect pretty well all the basic moods of human experience. Um, they're, but they are so beneficial, really correctly, for the Christian in a therapeutic sense. Um, uh, take, for example, the principle of lament and lament psalms, 
that actually give us permission to really unburden ourselves with 100% eye-watering honesty. Mm. And yet they locate it within a context of worship. So that there's a lot there. But, but you asked, Dave, about the fact that is it's not imposing a modern problem mm. on the ancient text. And I think this is, a, this is an area of Christians, again, we miss out on. Um, the kind of modern psychological movement really was began in 1880 with a guy called Wilhelm Wundt. And so much today of what people refer to as psychology and mental illness and mental health um, medicine in this area, which is connected with this, mm. is as a result of that. So it's a very modern treatment of it. But people have been looking at this for thousands of years and the Bible's been addressing this uh, continually. So, um, yeah, we mustn't feel intimidated. I think that's the thing. Yes, that's a helpful word. And I, I suppose it goes back to Genesis 1, 2 and 3, doesn't it, in some ways, in that the Lord created us with our minds. And if he's the Lord of all and he created us this way, then to say that the Bible says nothing would, I suppose it, it would frame God as not a loving father who doesn't speak to us on these issues because he knows, well, he knows how he formed us, that we're dust, and he wants to provide us with the, with the resources, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, I, I've been really encouraged in preparation for this podcast. I've listened to some of the stuff you've done with the EMW and with the FIC, and I can't remember which talk it was, um, but I loved this little quote where you talked about how depression for mental health is a mocking of God's original design. Could you just unpack that a wee bit? What, what does that mean? Yeah, for, I think it was a talk I did for the EMW, that one. But I think I'd say, first of all, that does not in any way imply that somebody who is depressed is mocking God. Yes, very helpful. Important distinction. But yeah. depression as an illness is such a distortion of the original creative purpose, which is for joy and delight and um, the ability to experience creation and to work within it and to live within it and to acknowledge God uh, and context of no fear, no sense of shame, no sense of guilt. All of these things, when you think of depression, well, yeah. a lot of them anyway, can become this so yeah de depression is as a result of the fall but only in the same way that pancreatitis is as well mm. uh but it's particular manifestation on the ourself our, 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 who we are as people it just seems sometimes it's, it's just a really horrible distorting of how god originally created us yes yes I especially think. whenever you think about well, yeah, the Lord's, well, I suppose the Lord Jesus in particular speaks of giving us life and life in all its fullness. So it is a, a horrific, uh, well, it's an inverse of God's original design. Yeah, I, I think you need to make the distinction, <coughs> sorry, excuse me, um, <clears throat> within that, that we all experience times of depressed mood. Yes. Uh, which affects us mentally, spiritually, physically. I would actually yes. argue that I think our Lord experienced times like that. Certainly he experienced anxiety. Mm. If you consider him there in Gethsemane, mm. asking and needing the um, companionship of yeah. his disciples, couldn't you stay awake? My soul yeah. is sorrowful to the point of death. Um, so that there's the, the, there are normal boundaries, but then for some people, it crosses that kind of threshold into something uh, really more serious. Yes, which is so helpful, isn't it, to for someone who is really struggling with their mental health to, to think about the Garden of Gethsemane and thinking, we've been going through Hebrews, that we have a high priest who is sympathetic, who knows our weaknesses, to think, Lord Jesus in the Garden has experienced what I, I'm experiencing. Isn't that that's a real comfort and encouragement, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I've had discussions over the years with Christians who get hot under the collar if you suggest that somehow uh, Jesus didn't experience the full 
gamut of human experience. The yeah. idea they want to present you as these sort of hovered off the ground four inches, never actually got his feet dirty, and yeah. he, his clothes were never had a crease. And, but you know, he's a man of sorrows. Isaiah speaks of being a man of sorrows, familiar with grief. So we read of him weeping at his friend's funeral. That isn't some pietistic display of unrelated emotion. That is his heart. Yeah. And if you unpack the Greek words there, it's actually deeper than just tears. It's it, There's an anger within that, at the pain of what he sees death doing. So if we're not careful, we're in a denial of the incarnation. If yeah. we don't accept that our Lord tempted in all ways as we are, Hebrews 4. Yeah. And yet without sin. Yeah. Whenever, so this is a, this will initially sound silly to you, but, you know, some days, okay, ridiculous example, whenever Ireland or Ulster lose at the rugby, Amy will come in and be like, oh, do you want to, do you want to go out and do something? I'll be like, oh no, I'm, I'm too depressed. Which obviously is like, I don't really, like I'm not actually depressed, but sometimes I'll use language like that. But I suppose whenever people are experiencing true, true emotion, something that they really struggle to do is something like read their Bible, pray, even come to church, sing songs. What would you say to someone who is experience, experiencing that reality that the, the means of grace are something that they really are struggling to do right now? Well, again, I think sometimes our churches are set up with a certain pre-subscribed um, emotional content what i mean yeah. by that is that um people come to church on the basis that it's going to be positive it's going to be if not anything jolly uh, yeah. it's there to sort of, it's great isn't it you know we're here to worship god and, mm. and yet when you look at the bible i mean there are times do our churches acknowledge that you know mm. as you come here today you know just thank you for being here you you know you 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 may well feel really, really lousy and really yeah. discouraged. So I think churches sometimes are a bit guilty of not yeah. reflecting that in the way in which we go. And we don't have to be silly about it. We don't have to be kind of really morbid in the way in which we present worship. But it should be reflected, I think, in our praying Yeah, that we pray for those who struggle. But coming back to the issue of using... The means of grace yeah one of the sad things is that often the very thing we need is the hardest thing we feel to access and that's yeah. where friends can be really helpful mm. who know you're going through a hard time and um, knowing that it's okay to turn up and just go at the end and not necessarily talk to anyone um, but having and being supported in that um, I gotta be careful about giving details and I but yeah. There's a lady I know who, just to see her in the congregation, is a great blessing to me because I know her story. Yes. And I know that every time to get in the building and be there is a massive step. Yes. Um, so yes. that opens up the thing that our presence when we struggle, and our struggle is known, is often a ministry to others. Yes, because... It ties in quite nicely this past Sunday. We've been in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 39, and it's verses 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to spur one another on to loving good deeds. And then immediately it says, not neglecting to meet together. And it's that idea that actually just being present does so much to spur one another on, especially whenever you know that someone's really struggling with, well, I was going to say mental health, but any struggling in their life seeing them there being like oh church like the lord jesus is more significant more important well offers the solution the hope in whatever situation that they're facing like that's so important isn't it it is the hebrews 10 passage speaks about you know people having their possessions confiscated yeah. imprisoned i mean all sorts of quite reasonable reasons to not meet together <laughs> yeah exactly. um, and yet the priority is to do that but i think i come back to this thing that we we need to recognize on the lord's day that for some being there is really hard yes we need yes. to and, and to do that in a supportive way mm. and i think we need to perhaps as church leaders look out for people like that more yeah. and just reassure them 
Yeah. And if it's too it, much and they, you know, they bail out, that's okay. We yeah, love that's you. Totally fine. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting as well, isn't it? Like uh, Paul in, I can't remember which Corinthians it is, but he talks about sorrowful and, and always rejoicing, almost the shape of a, of a service should it's quite hard to do, isn't it? Encompass those two emotions that you can, because of sin, sorrow, and yet there is joy and there needs to be overlap between the two. Yeah, um, 2 Corinthians is an amazing letter for lots of yeah. reasons. But that first chapter where he says, you know, I would not have you uninformed brothers about our mm. struggles in Asia. And he talks about feeling within himself the sentence of death. We despaired even of life itself. Life. Yeah. Did that mean the Apostle Paul felt suicidal? I yeah. think it's leaning in that direction. Yeah. So how yeah. about, you know, the very first thing he wants people to know who are attacking his ministry for being unimpressive yeah. is that I, I really got to the point where I felt life wasn't worth living. Yeah. And that flags up for us. As church leaders, again, without being silly, there's a need for more honesty from us. Yeah. So that when we struggle, we need people need to acknowledge that that the church leader who's always on his game, always got the answers, always cheerful. I'm very suspicious of someone like that. I think yeah. actually often they're hiding something. Yeah. yeah but it can be a terrific benefit for people to see that we also struggle yeah it is like i mean whenever you talk about the apostle paul like in my this is such a silly illustration he's just like a rock star you'd obviously know what rock stars are like phil being one but <laughs> paul paul goes around planting churches preaching the gospel countless people saved and then you read i despaired of life itself that's incredible i think that that's someone that we find in the bible are there would you say are there other Christians from church history that have struggled with their mental health in this way or do you want to pick up more on Paul well I'll quickly say one other thing about Paul and then I'll mention a couple of people who were worth yeah. considering but I think again with Paul later on um, and again I'm forgive me if I've got the names and the details wrong but again in 2 Corinthians he talks about um, going to Troas I think believing that God had opened a door mm. and uh, we went there to preach the gospel I don't know about you, but if you felt God was saying, Dave, I want you to go to uh, Vellenvall uh, next week and preach the gospel, you'd be thinking, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, yeah. Nothing's going to stop me. But then we read, but I, I could not stay there. I had no peace of mind because I didn't find my friend Titus there. So we left. I think it's just incredible. You, you kind of, your jaw hits the, hits the floor when you hear that. And of course, he goes on into Macedonia and it just gets worse. Yeah. And he talks about struggles without, fears within, but God comforted us by the coming of Titus. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's a reminder of Paul's own humanity. A lot yeah. of our problems as Christians are we don't re we don't acknowledge our humanity. I think that's what I was trying to say earlier about leaders that don't yeah. do this, um, and and we don't acknowledge <coughs> our struggle with our humanity within a fallen creation that affects us with things like depression, which are a distortion of how God has made us, and, yeah. and other mental illnesses. God, you know, these are a result of the fall. So we need to acknowledge these. But also the coming of Titus eventually encourages Paul as a reminder yeah. that great help we can be to one another without yeah. needing to be technical in a mental yeah. health sense. The, yeah. uh, Emma Scrivener, it's quite interesting, um, Glenn Scrivener's wife, She's written, has she written the book on anorexia? Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah. yeah. Carry it's, on. Sorry. It's a new name. I'm yes. going to mention this book because she had she was admitted twice for very serious life-threatening anorexia. Yeah. And she talks in retrospect after she has kind of come through that. Mm. But she says what helped. And one of the big things she says that really helped was just having Christian friends, people who didn't give up on me. Lovely example of that historically is probably um, the one guy who really, really suffered with mental health issues that we know most clearly from the 18th century was William um, Cooper, or sometimes yeah. people call him Cowper. 
I would say um, Kuiper, but you're yeah. the boss here. Well, I'm not really, but I've been told it's Cooper by people who are cleverer than me, so we'll go with that. <laughs> but it's interesting, um, you know, the first Sunday of this year was the 250th anniversary of Newton's Amazing Grace being sung mm. in public. And I saw a thing on Twitter by a pastor, an American pastor, called Alex de Prima. I don't know anything about him. And I actually don't know how accurate this is. But he says that the very Sunday that Cooper, uh, that um, Amazing Grace was sung, Cooper was in the congregation, and it was the last time he'd ever be in church. Wow. Now, I don't think that timeline is quite right, because I've tried to do a bit of research on it, but it's certainly within a few weeks of that. Yeah. And Cooper experienced the dark clouds of depression. And because he is this brilliant poet, who's today still revered within the corpus of English literature as a yeah. great poet in his own right. He is very descriptive. And the story goes that he went home from church that night and uh, penned the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious, mysterious Way. way. Wow. But the friendship thing, Paul and Titus, yeah. next he lived next door to Newton, who John Piper <laughs> describes as the healthiest man of the 18th century. Unreal. In an essay... Oh. Yeah, yeah. But in the same essay, he calls Cooper the sickest man of the 18th century <laughs> in terms of his mental health. And yeah. these two guys loved each other. Mm. And Cooper, uh, sorry, Newton, the old slave trader, you know, the, yeah. the, the African hooligan, just terrible things that he did. They had There was a door at the end of the garden in the wall. And yeah. each night he, he used to meet up with Cooper and they'd meet in a summer house and he would minister to him. Amazing. Newton is my hero. All right. Yeah. He's his letter writing is the rich, a massive rich reservoir of pastoral genius. Yeah. And how about this? Right. He he was a man of science. So he wasn't one of these pastors who would say to someone, just read your Bible and pray more, which <laughs> is really very difficult if you're really depressed. Yeah. Newton was OK. It's 18th century science. But he bought and a, a machine that delivered electrical shocks to people. So in his journals, you'll read, you know, took a service this morning, came home, had lunch this afternoon, visited four or five people, delivered electricity to three of them. <laughs> because it was the belief that, that some of the mood issues that people were experiencing, the belief back then could be cured by what was then cutting edge science. Wow. And and I, I think that's brilliant because I think it's reminded to us as pastors, we should be reading widely about mental health stuff because there yes. is good common grace information out there and things that we can bring into our ministry and really help people with. I was concerned there that you were drawn towards the application of Dave, get out there and buy some sort of electroshock treatment. But I wholeheartedly agree to read read more widely. Yeah. Um, I think uh, even, I was circling back, but Phil, whenever you talk about, I suppose just reading the scriptures, there's just such joy in your voice and in your heart by re just reading and thinking about what, like, what's going on in Paul here whenever he is mm. struggling in this. Because actually sometimes we can read our Bibles, can't we, quite fl flatly and not like, explore and meditate on the depth. And actually... Mm. We miss out, don't we, whenever we don't consider God's truth and, and all this stuff. Um, we, we miss the human dimension. Yeah. And biblical narrative. We I say to I teach um, pastoral theology for EMW on the theological training course and I one of the things I cover is is preaching and um, I would say when you're preaching narrative, try to climb into the narrative. Because yeah. it, it, at the end of the day, the Bible is conveying truth. Sometimes it'll do it through poetry. Sometimes it'll do it through apocalyptic. Sometimes it'll do it through a kind of a, a epistle type letter. There are all these different genres, but sometimes it's doing it through story. Yeah. And through story, it relates to us. Yeah. So isn't it interesting that one of the key obvious suicide attempts in the Bible is followed in the New Testament by us being told that we are to remember this man Elijah who lay down and said God take me I don't want to live anymore we're told in the New Testament he's a man of like passions as we are 
Isn't yeah. interesting? So interesting. So we've got to be careful as, as preachers. We, we don't miss the nuances. They're there. Yeah. Um, we uh, this year at the Bridge Church, our multiverse. Do you guys have a multiverse in Clathley Free Church? Uh, no. That's okay. I've actually it's something I've never experienced pre coming to the bridge. But um this year our motto verse is Matthew nine, thirty six to thirty eight, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Um I suppose whenever we we're thinking about that verse, we're meditating on it, we're praying about it, we're trying to live it out. We want to see lost people saved, of course. I suppose what is the danger if the pendulum swings too far to one extreme what if we just focus on evangelism as pastors as a congregation whatever um what happens if we focus too much on that and not on the care of souls well if we focus too much on mission and evangelism we're in denial of where the bible actually speaks to us because okay. it's about the whole person give yeah. you an example of this in john 4 now the woman at the well Ultimately, this is a brilliant passage of Jesus evangelizing a woman. It's the longest narrative that we have in the New Testament of him speaking to anyone. And it's a woman and it's fantastic. She's a Samaritan. She's not a Jew. It's just brilliant. It's just brilliant on every level. But how does it begin? Give me a drink. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there is, we mustn't deny the reality that the people we're evangelizing are not notches on the pulpit. They're people... Yeah with fears, anxieties, ambitions, disappointments, frustrations, uh, shame, and all the rest of it. And of course, the great thing is that often people's... How do people express their real humanity today? Because we're in a dehumanising culture, a culture that basically tries to flatten out... It's flattening out gender. It's flattening out everything. Male-female yeah. distinctives, everything. And every now and then, something erupts from within community... I mean, this case now of this poor, appalling case of this woman in Lancashire who's disappeared. Mm. And, you know, there's all the stuff, the police trying to find her, and there's all these conspiracy theories and all the rest of it. But it's almost like we have moments in culture like that where human distress penetrates. And it's almost like a saying within the kind of philosophical pressure of the day it's erupting and people are saying i am a human being i matter yeah. i hurt i bleed and i think we have missed again the opportunity to connect with that some yeah. years ago i was asked to give a um, an evangelistic address at swansea university lunchtime on does god care about my mental health yeah. and i'd done one previously and it was a tiny little room about 20 people and I turned up. I was absolutely terrified. They booked a major um, lecture theatre. There are hundreds there. And the interest was profound. Oh, my goodness. And so, and I, it was a bit of a back of a fag packet talk. You know, I prepared quickly, almost in the car going. Um, but there were things I said that day, and I think the Lord gave them to me, and they've stuck with me ever since. Mm. So I, I went on in a nice way on the offensive i said i'm a christian when stuff goes wrong i need points of reference as every human being does in life i gave an illustration of a governor in a school one of the teachers went on a course it was a very detailed uh, system she was learning and suddenly on the last day she was asked to give a presentation to everyone else on the course using this system oh my and she said i panicked so she said what i did was i kept writing down a list of everyone i knew who loved me so we, we call that grounding all right that's yeah. emotional grounding and so you know those became her points of reference that helped to get through and i say well in life where are your points of reference here are mine i believe there's a god you know i believe he's real i believe he's not an imaginary friend yeah and i believe that he loves me and i believe that he orders everything perfectly according to his purposes for my life that ultimately are for his glory and ultimately for my good. I believe there's purpose as a result of this in suffering. So I listed off these points of reference. And then I say to people, what are yours? I guess people haven't got them. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, to hear, you see, you come back to Pipe, John Piper's comment about John Newton, the sanest man of the 18th century. That man saw some of the most appalling things that a human being could ever see. He should have been suffering yeah. from chronic PTSD. Yeah. And yet he's 
he's so, you know, the healing that has gone on in his life. And it's that yeah. phrase, isn't it, with the Gadarene demoniac clothed and in his right mind. Yeah. But then, of course, the villagers are terrified and they ask Jesus to leave. And I yeah. think there's an element where we say, I'm actually, I can, I, it's not, it doesn't hurt me, life. But I have this tremendous framework and foundation yeah. as a Christian. And I think it should frighten people in a positive way evangelistically. Yes. It's, yeah, it's so helpful just to think about how our actually what we believe is so countercultural and it's such good news. So almost we can focus on what we, yeah, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? But focusing on what we believe is what our culture needs to hear. And, and yeah, go ahead. Would you know a lot of people in psychological medicine today actually are very quite respectful of a Christian worldview. Yeah. They might not be on board with us with things like sexual ethics. And this is why we've got to broaden the lens. Um, the last two days I've been in a conference in Cardiff. Run, it's an NHS conference yeah. uh, uh, run by what's called Traumatic Stress Wales. Professor mm -hmm. John Bissom, who's one of the leading um, psychiatrists in Cardiff, runs it. And they allow me to go. And I get into, I've had terrific do, opportunities. Did they invite you to go to that? No, I invited myself. Brilliant. Love it. <laughs> I found their website. They like people from the third sector. So church is a third sector. And they yeah. make me feel welcome. And because I got a bit of a background and I can say who I used to work with, it yeah. sort of, you know, it, it connects. Helps. But you know what? I had so many opportunities in the last yeah. two days to share the gospel with people. Because they say, I sit down with someone, oh, Dr. So-and-so who's a clinical lead somewhere, and you know, expert genius in CBT yeah. or something. And they say, and, and, and what, where are you from? I say, I'm from Llanelli. They say, what do you do? I pastor a church. And they look at me. They say, what kind of church? Evangelical church. And yeah. their eyes read. They want, they want their run. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, yeah. And then it's like, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You must yeah. be in touch with people experiencing trauma all the time. I say, I am loads and then i go for it i say i do loads of work with people who've been hurt by church yeah and they how does that work you see i said well you know amazingly this incredible message of love grace forgiveness and compassion sometimes gets distorted yeah and um but you wouldn't believe the opportunities i had and it's we we shouldn't be afraid of speaking positively honestly about our faith how it connects with human struggle and what and really digging into what the Bible has to say about this. Yes, because once people whenever people come to know the Lord Jesus, then they come into the well, they come into the care of the Lord and the care of the church. So evangel well, almost if you are evangelistic and you're outward looking and then you don't care for souls, you're undermining the message that you're proclaiming, aren't you? If John ten in my book, you're a highling. Yeah. Frankly, yeah. you'll see yeah. the wolf coming. The wolf is depression. What do you do? You run. You say, yeah. go see your GP. Come back when you're fixed. Yeah. That is not a pastor. All right. Yeah. And things happen, isn't it? You know, we ran Hope Explored a couple of times recently. One of the times we ran, a guy came in, a chronic high-functioning alcoholic, I suppose you'd have to say, terrible mess. And he's there and he's saying to me, this He's hearing the gospel for the first time. And he's saying, this is, this is incredible. This is amazing. It's exactly the kind of response you want to see. But he's yeah. going, but my problem is, he's going, I can't remember things. And oh, he said, no. And then he said, you may have noticed I've been drinking. He said, <laughs> and he's, then he's, but then he said this, and he broke my heart. He said, I live like this because stuff was done to me when I was little. Oh, dear. And I think that in that moment, again, it connected with me that the, whoever we speak to about Jesus is yeah. somebody who's been broken by life. Yeah. They may put terrific walls between us and them and never really talk about it. OK, fair yeah. enough. But everybody's got stuff and everybody's yeah. carrying stuff. And we need to recognize that as we evangelize. So while we're on the topic of evangelism. What if we had a, a friend or family member who wasn't yet a Christian and struggling in this area? How might, well, how might the gospel, how might the good news of Jesus inform your care of them? How might you 
seek to bring Christ's light to their darkness where it's appropriate, if it's appropriate. The biggest thing I'd say is you need to be incarnational in the way okay. you relate to them. Um, I'm not sure I'm allowed heroes in the Christian life, but one of mine is Diane Langberg. She's an a American lady. She's a, a very capable psychologist who's worked pretty exclusively in the area of trauma uh, since the 1980s when PTSD became first recognized diagnosis. And she has uh, written very helpfully uh, on some very difficult subjects. An excellent book of hers is Suffering in the Heart of God, um, which I anyone in Christian leadership should read. It's a really helpful read. But in that she talks about being Christ-like with broken people so that they're, they're actually seeing something of Christ in us. And that's really difficult and it's frightening, perhaps a little, to those yeah. of us who are Christians. But my first response there is it's friendship, it's perseverance, it's love, it's patience. Um, and um, showing as much as we can and it depends on the nature of the mental illness yeah um, obviously if somebody is very seriously mentally ill so, so perhaps they're experiencing florid psychosis the initial move may just simply to be there yeah not give up on them yes it's it's so helpful even just to think there's not a yeah there's not a one-size-fits-all for this stuff whenever you sort of there's principles and you you take it as as they come don't you um, i think you do and asking you know i know people it was popular to pour scorn on this what would jesus do yeah but actually i think that's a very good question and yeah i mean easy. yeah yeah i it's, i feel like that's to that's never a bad place to start is it brilliant i like that yeah <laughs> and um but I, yeah, befriending, being patient, yeah, not giving up on people, because often people will give up on themselves. Yeah. You mustn't give up on them. Yeah. And um, but learning to do that in a healthy way, yeah. so things like boundaries become really important. Yeah, I think remembering that we can't fix people. Yeah, particularly as leaders, some people want us to fix them. They expect us to, but we can't. It's only Jesus in the end who fixes yeah. people. Um, so those sorts of things, I think, are important within that business of not giving up on people and befriending them. Yeah. Um, something I find since I've come to Wales is uh, the way people greet one another is they say, you okay? That's, that's sort of the, which I always find is quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's quite a low bar are you okay? It's not, are you great? It's, are you okay? It's nice. Nice and in the middle. That's, I feel like in Northern Ireland, if you said that you were good, people would be like a bit suspicious. Why are you, why, why are you more than okay? Um, but I suppose whenever we think about the church and mental health, it, it would seem quite intense on a Sunday morning to sit beside someone and say, how's your mental health doing? That's probably a bit intense if you've never talked to someone before. But why should Christians within the church, within the church congregation, talk to one another about how they're doing with their mental health? How can we bear one another's burdens? What, like almost what happens if we are silent? Why set? There's loads of questions in there, so take your pick. <laughs> yeah, um, I think often we are silent because, again, there can be failures within the ministry we've heard to address yeah. these issues that pretty well everyone goes through a period of real difficulty with their thoughts and emotions yeah. in life for some people that's more sustained but yeah um I, I found it quite helpful to say to people what can i pray for you about this week yes and that takes people immediately to the things that really matter yeah um it's nice and broad as well. Yeah. People can answer how they feel led. People often answer emotionally. Yeah. They talk just the things they're fearful about or they're uh, worried about 
people, the things that are getting them down. But I just think, yeah, we've got to grow into this, haven't we? That we actually have a responsibility before God for one another. We are yeah. to carry one another's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of God. Yeah. We're to love our neighbour as ourselves. And I, I think, you know, this business, you sit next to someone, what can I pray for? And they say, oh, I've got this really difficult time in work and I've got an appraisal coming up and I'm a bit fearful my boss is going to weaponize it. And you say, oh, that sounds terrible. I'll pray for you. And you do pray for them. And then that's it. Yeah. You know, follow it up. Yes, yeah, there's probably more than that. And we've got more, you know, just send them a text or phone them or, or say, can we meet for a coffee? You know, again, you say about Wales, one of the things we're really bad at is ripping information out of each other and not doing anything with it. I mean, actually, i got to be careful. When I first came amongst some of the older people, it was almost an industrial scale, you know. Yeah. So somebody turns up at church, who are you? Why are you here? Where are you from? What do you do? And it was almost like got that information onto the next one. And I had to challenge people about that. So that isn't yeah. Christian. You know, we, it's about the whole person. Who cares what they do? Yeah. Who cares where they're from? Yeah. What What about this person? Yeah. In where they are at this moment in time. So yes. we've got to really love one another. Yes. It's, it's as in... It's so interesting, me hearing that from you, because I obviously live with your son, and <laughs> Gareth Gareth would get information out of you, whether you wanted it to come out or not, but because he cared so much, and I always appreciated that, that whenever he asked me how I was doing, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm all right. He'd be like, yeah, but how are you doing? And I'd be like, trying to fend him off, like, get away from me. But it's it's also being persistent, isn't it, to follow up with people and... I suppose, within the confines of the relationship, like pursuing them, even when they don't want to be pursued. David takes love and courage. Yeah. It's because someone loves you. They're willing to ask that question and to ask in that way, but it's not easy. It takes courage. Yeah. And the irony is that when you meet somebody who really is like that with you, invariably you will tell them a yeah. lot yeah exactly. it's not defensive then is it no no because you know they care um, and, and perhaps it's a good point isn't it to flag up the importance of confidentiality yeah within this area particularly hmm. that um knowing we can trust people and yeah. leaders have to get that right yes you know yeah 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 because it can just yeah trust is you can spend a lifetime building it and it's gone in a, in a moment, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, so in our church congregations, how, how might you recognise someone who's struggling? How might someone with who's struggling with their mental health, how might they present in church life? It's usually changes in the individual, which again is why we need to know each other well. So someone might become more withdrawn, someone yeah. might become more disinhibited and outspoken but it's just a feeling there's something not quite right here yeah um like the biggest one of the big problems we face with church though, is people drop out the back door no one notices mm. yeah so it's you i think you look for changes and because you know that person you see them differently mm. um what's a bit different is if people turn up and you don't know them yeah, and but I think the Lord gives discernment, and I think the more you work with people who have struggles in these areas, you sometimes you just look into someone's eyes, and you yeah. can you just know you get sense, yeah. But you can't go and say, you know, what's your problem? You know, <laughs> you build the relationship, and maybe uh, then there's trust to say he talked to you. Yes, it's it's helpful, isn't that, just to think about noticing a change in a person? Because, I mean, you have to know someone in lots of ways in order to recognise that there's a change. Um, yeah. I I think it's as in, this is a bit of a side point, but I uh, one of our elder staff, who I loved a bit, he, uh, he, he said to me about how I'm a wild man for uh, self-deprecating jokes, or like as in Dave's always the butt of the joke and 
I was like, yeah, I think that's just you know part of who I am. And I suppose someone who doesn't know me that well uh, might might be like, oh well, Dave's constantly put himself down. But almost if I stopped doing that, that would be a change. If I suddenly stopped being, I suppose making light of of a situation, like not ta- if I suddenly started taking myself really seriously, I, I would almost think that's an a noticeable change in my behavior. I don't know if that's just waffle or if that's helpful. No, it, it is helpful, but the thing there is that sometimes our baseline isn't healthy. Yes. So my question to you would be why are you comfortable with putting yourself down? Interesting. This is a bit of a analysis of Dave. Um I think this is where we're complex souls, aren't we? But we're back home almost if you are uh, I mean people would laugh if you put yourself down back home so it's an easy laugh out of people um, but then also I think yeah, I, I suppose I want people to feel comfortable around me and I suppose by not taking myself too seriously I'm hoping that that will make them feel comfortable but I think as I'm thinking out loud here Steph's point was really helpful in that he says often I might make a self-deprecating joke just after in a sermon just after I've said something quite serious or hard-hitting almost to he just said it to think about it in my preaching and I find it, I find it really helpful thinking about that because yeah all these little things well it's just teaching people stuff isn't it oh it's okay to yeah make fun of yourself sort of thing yeah, it is, but I, th- I think it. You know, I don't want to sort of pry too much into you uh, no, and your fine. life and that. But sometimes there are patterns of behaviour that are, if you like, normal for us. Yeah. That sometimes you start to think as a pastor, well, why, why does that person need to be doing this all the time? Yeah. Um, so, from a leadership point of view, I think it's the better you get to know people. Yeah. And um yeah. Yeah. Really well, really helpful. I feel like I should pay you for this because I've got a bit of no. understanding of myself. Um so thinking more about mental health, sometimes what happens I feel like this inevitably happens in all areas of life. If we've struggled with something or if we've suffered with something and then we see someone going through something similar, so I don't know. Yeah, I, I find if a teenager, you know, gets their heart broken by their girlfriend. I, I've experienced that. So I'll be like, oh, I can go and talk to him about that. Is that helpful in this realm of mental health where we sort of map on our experience onto someone else? Or is that, is that helpful or harmful? Or is it, uh, is it more grey? Is it more in the middle? Yeah, it's a good question again, Dave. Um, I think when it comes to like, what we might see more physical illnesses, They're, the shared experience is more universal. So, yeah. for example, in my uh, first year of college, I tore my cartilage in my knee. And, um, so I tell you, did it on a Friday, they operated Monday. That's how oh it used days. to be the NHS. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but then I can remember being on my first, one of my first placements as a, as um, uh, when I was actually undoing clinical placement. And there's a guy just a couple of years younger than me, and we having terrible trouble just getting him to do a basic straight leg raise because he'd had this operation. And he's, he made the fatal error at one point of saying, you don't know what he's like. <laughs> to which I rolled up my trouser leg. <laughs> he probably <laughs> thought I was a mason. But, yeah. but I showed him the scar. So he, he knew how to get on with it. Now, it's not yeah. like that with emotions and thoughts. It is infinitely more complicated because you bring to the table your background, your previous life experiences. There's the issue of communication, how words how words are interpreted by me may be different to you. It's huge. And there's just the general complexity of all this stuff to do with the, the brain, which we know so little about. So I think the bottom line, what I would say is don't impress. I mean, if somebody's baby had suffered with bouts of real anxiety and they've managed to manage that and get through that that doesn't mean that their experience dovetails as neatly with someone else 
in the way that somebody's had their appendix out can talk to somebody who's going to have their appendix out. Well, they probably wouldn't talk to them, they'd be in too much pain. But yeah. you know, if somebody's had a knee replacement, is going for the op, you know. So it, the big takeaway is if you've been through it, you should be more empathetic. Yeah. You should realise that to be there as a listener and not a fixer is actually quite healing to someone. Mm. So, and if someone yeah. asks you, it's different, isn't it? How yeah. did you yeah. cope? What was it like when you were on some medication? Yes. Or yes. when you were sent for counselling, what happened? Well, that, that can be helpful. Yeah. But be cautious about impressing too tightly on someone you're experiencing. Yes, exactly. Not not almost like running straight over and be like, let me tell you everything there is to know. You have to be invited into these things, don't you? Because um, the great thing is somebody who has battled through or learned yeah. to live with something becomes a walking embodiment of hope. Yes. Yeah. And this is why, That's again, true. you know, our testimonies, why, why are church testimonies in church always only about how I came to faith? Yeah. I'm going to be wrong. They're the best ones. Yeah. But why not a testimony about how I got through how a God's kept relationship? Me. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and when the kids were off the rails or we had this terrible diagnosis in the home and we, we should be prizing those testimonies as well. Yeah. Uh, we're we're motoring towards a finish here, but you've you've mentioned persevering friends, and you've talked about boundaries, etc. Is there anything else you'd want to touch on to sort of encourage persevering friends? I think I've got to be honest and say to persevere with somebody who has more severe mental illness is a real challenge. Yeah, it is, and it will take a lot out of you to persevere. It is where Christ would have you. When I first, when I got a job in Whitchurch, I remember a Christian telling me, it's one of the most outrageous things I've ever heard. Well, that's no place for a Christian to work. What? Because this is back in the 80s and stigma and, you know, and all this kind of thing. And it really troubled me. And I mentioned Mm. it to Dr. Brian Harris, who I didn't work with him, but he was in in South Glam at the time. I used to bump into him. And a very senior psychiatrist, he said, Philip, it's one of the first places Jesus would go. Yeah. And, you know, we we need to persevere. But in doing so, you've got to look after yourself. Yeah. So that's why boundaries, what we mean by boundaries is, you know, I started in ministry, someone come and see me, so you've got this big problem. I take your time. I've got all day for you. Yeah. You know, three hours later, you emerge out of a conversation that's just become so complex and convoluted. It hasn't helped me understand them, and it certainly hasn't helped them. And I'm ever so grateful to Dr. Pablo Martinez, who's a Christian psychiatrist in Barcelona. He's done a great work with IFES and with the European Leadership Forum. And uh, I heard him speaking in a seminar to us, and he said, you need to be more professional. Don't see people just in coffee shops who've got real issues. But find an environment and say, let's meet once a week for an hour. Yeah. And I, that's quite revolutionised my uh, approach. It's called structuring. And um, that's been really helpful. And you've got to look after yourself in that. Yeah. You know, but don't, never, ever give up on people. Yeah. Yeah. Very helpful. Thanks for that. So this is us uh, drawn to... We're just finishing the podcast, but this will never be... This is a conversation that could go on for yeah. hours, couldn't it? So yeah. are there any... Well, first of all, thank you so much. It's been so helpful. But are there any particular resources or helpful things you'd point people towards? Yeah, I've actually, this is the one question I've done a bit of thinking about before this. The rest has been off the cuff. um, But because a lot of, that, there now are a lot of really good resources out there. Um, There's never one size fits all. So with some of these resources, you may find some of this is helpful, some of it isn't. Um, but I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment, and it's called When the Noise Won't Stop. It's written by an Australian pastor called Paul Grimmond, and it's a Christian guide to dealing with anxiety. Now, I've not finished the book, so it's a bit risky mm. recommending something <laughs> not finished. It is superb at dealing with the issue of common grace, um, 
and um, lots of other issues. It's quite, although, you know, you say I'm, I don't have a problem with anxiety. I don't know anyone does. I still think that's a great book to read as an example. When the noise won't stop. Was that yeah, it? when the noise won't stop. It's published by Matthias Media. But okay. this is a great example of a good new resource. We need more more like this. A good mm. overview, though, there's a book by uh, a ret retired psychiatrist called Alan Thomas uh, called Tackling Mental Illness Together. I don't really like the title because, I, you know, tackling mental illness, I, I think it's more w walking with it. Would yeah. be me. Uh, but it's published by IVP. And it's a good overview of all the major mental illnesses from a Christian, by a Christian yeah. psychiatrist, which is, um, which is really, really good and really helpful. There's some helpful online resources as well. The European Leadership Forum, um, they have some terrific stuff at uh, Focal Online, F-O-C-L online .org. So if you look up people like Diane Langberg, Pablo Martinez, Martinez. Uh, Richard Winter, again, British psychiatrist who went to work in a seminary in the States. Lovely, godly man, really helpful. And the one guy who's influenced me most of all, and I, you know, we we kind of correspond a little bit, is um, Eric Johnson. Um, okay. He's uh, a champion of what's called now Christian psychology. Um, his stuff tends to be quite... Well, I heard him give a, the first time I ever met him, he, he gave a talk on psychotherapy to the glory of God. It blew the doors off me. I just thought, where has this guy been? It's wonderful. You know, um, but he writes as well, but he tends to write in quite a technical way. I was about to say, that's not like a, as in I wouldn't pick up that book and easily understand it. It's not for a lay person. Well, so I think, Dave, you should read Soul, uh, God and Soul Care. Okay. I, okay. I seriously challenge accepted. God and so okay. But he, if you go on the uh, focalonline.org, you can get a lot of his addresses there. And again, he is a lovely guy. Mm -hmm. uh, Diane Langberg, her stuff is up there as well. So it's good, good online resources there. UK based stuff, because again, you find the American stuff is very different because mental yeah. illness takes place in a context. And the yeah. U.S. context is very different. Uh, over here, people are probably familiar with uh, B, uh, BCUK, Biblical Counselling UK. Yeah. Personally, I think Biblical Counselling is some fantastic people in Biblical Counselling. I've got some really great friends who are 100% signed up to it. For me, it's more of a discipleship type okay. model. Yeah. Um, but there is some really helpful stuff. And I noticed... Um, uh, th this year, I think their their main conference is specifically looking at gospel, church, and mental health. So mm. th there's some excellent folks there. Yeah. But another great UK resource is the Mind and Soul Foundation. That's mindandsoulfoundation.org. Um, mm. Again, some superb contributors there. That's based, I think, that's out of um, Holy Trinity Brompton in London. Okay. Um, and then there's just general other stuff. Uh, you know, there's so much being written about now from a yeah. Christian perspective. But my advice, read broadly, keep your head screwed on. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And is there is there something in Cardiff that you're a part of? Yep. Um, there's a book coming I out know, next I month. know you don't want to plug yourself, so I felt like I should tee you off there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, been shy and retired. Well, I yeah. was part of a group who wrote a book called Challenging Leaders, which sadly yeah. looks at uh, abusive church systems, uh, but okay. also looks at what is healthy church. Yeah. And um, it's a it's something quite close to my heart. And I've written a chapter in there on trauma and caring for traumatized Christians or Christians traumatized by church. But we have a, a, a day conference. It's going to be up in Thornhill Church. Oh, on the 24th of March and information about that if it's not there already it should be there very soon is on the yeah. affinity website okay. I ought to say and I'd shoot myself if I didn't say this at least in the foot <laughs> read the Puritans the later okay. Puritans Richard Sibbs pastoral genius oh, oh read Augustine read how people have done it in the past yeah we have a wealth of helpful 
material in the area of Christian care of those who struggle with thoughts and emotions. What's what's the saying? We stand on the shoulders of giants. Isn't yeah, we do. Well, here we are, Phil. We're at the end. This has been this has been great. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you. We are looking forward to seeing you on the sixteenth of April. Yeah. Do you, I, do you know what you're preaching on, or we'll no. see you on? Yeah, we'll see you on the week. Probably Spirit the led. Thursday before. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the week before I'm lecturing, so. I, I tend to be a little bit weary, so you can all be extra kind to me. Okay. We, <laughs> no, we, we're a kind bunch. I, I know you are, and I genuinely now hear such positive things of what God is doing in and through Bridge Church, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we can't wait to see you. Thanks. Thanks, Bye. Dave.